1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you. And that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks, before we get into this episode, I just want to give you one more reminder that due to schedules starting to fill up and and everything kind of starting to get back to normal a little bit, thanks to COVID uh, kind of lessening, uh, that the Responsible Leadership Podcast will be going down to one show a week. This is the last two-show week. Uh, We will have episode 201 will begin next Thursday. So there will not be a show on Monday. Next Thursday will be episode 201. And that's going to be the schedule going forward. Every Thursday morning, you'll have a new episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. With that, enjoy episode 200. All right, folks. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an outstanding guest for you today. Mr. Joel Schwartzberg. Joel, thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you, Earl. It's my pleasure.
0: Oh, I cannot wait to have this conversation that we're about to have here. Uh, but, listeners, what I want you to know about Joel is he is a leadership communications coach whose clients include American Express, Blue Cross Blue Shield, State Farm Insurance, the Brennan Center for Justice, and Comedy Central. He is the Senior Director of Strategic and Executive Communications for a major national nonprofit and previously held senior-level communication and editorial positions with Time Inc., PBS, and Nickelodeon. His articles on effective communication have appeared in Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, and Toastmaster Magazine. And he's a sought-after business and communications podcast guest and conference speaker. He's the author of Get to the Point, Sharpen Your Message, and Make Your Words Matter, which Seth Godin calls a manifesto for giving talks that make a difference. And the book that we're going to talk about today, The Language of Leadership, How to Engage and Inspire Your Team, which Kevin Eikenberry says will make your communication more purposeful, meaningful, and inspirational. Joel, that is a fantastic background there, and it makes me... I really want to hear how you answer that first question where I start all of my guests. Mm -hmm. When you hear the words responsible leadership, what do they mean to you?
1: Well, I work within the world of communication, uh, which is critical because that's how a team learns about its leader. So I'm gonna answer your question in that context. And to me, a responsible leader is a responsive leader. That is someone who understands the wants and needs of their teams so well that when they communicate, they are matching those wants and needs every time, whether it's a speech, an email, a video, uh, running a meeting. So really, it's about knowing what your audience, what your team, what your employees are expecting of you and need from you. And then understanding that you work backwards from that, not forwards from what you wanna say, what you wanna talk about. So it's about being a responsive leader. Mm.
0: No, I really do like that approach. I like that approach a lot. Um, and it, it's 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 such a great position to start from, because I talk about that, about building relationships mm-hmm. and looking out for your team's welfare. And and that's kind of what I heard there, right? Is you you need to take that time to get to know who your team is, uh, and, and be able to have those conversations to, to help move the team forward based off of who they are, what their skill sets are, and all those sorts of things, and, and be able to make better decisions as a team instead of just trying to shove your ideas on the team, right?
1: Right. I often say say that a leader, through their communication, they want to come across as among the team, not above the team. Because you're right, Earl. Uh, The dynamic should be that a leader supports the team because the team is critical to meeting the mission or the business goals of that organization. So we're all in it together. And that's the language I encourage. And that's the language I like to hear from leaders. We're all in this together. Uh, We have to collaborate. We have to have open minds uh, because we all move as one under a singular goal. Yes, no, I love that. I love
0: that. Uh, so listeners, as always, when I have uh, guests on here with, with great books, uh, you know, kind of through the course of this conversation, what we're going to do is we're going to step through a few points of the book, uh, but we definitely want you to go out and buy a copy. So we're going we're gonna to kind of tease you a little bit here, uh, but leave you wanting more. And I can't think of a better place to, to start this conversation than kind of at the beginning, Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about think before you speak, developing a leadership communication mindset. So let's right. talk about that. What, what, is a, what is a leadership communication mindset?
1: A leadership communication mindset, at least a successful one, is one where um, you're not asking the wrong question, which is, what do I want to say? What's in my head? Uh, what do I need to say to my people? It's one where you first identify and value the wants and needs of your team. Now, there are a lot of words like impact and wants and needs. We kind of throw out there and assume everyone interprets them the same way. But I want to be very specific when I say that your team wants and needs to hear this. Those are two separate things when they want to hear something. That means they're already aware of it, but they need more elaboration or they need to understand uh, why it's relevant but they're familiar with it. When they need to know something, that's often something they are not aware of. So the leader needs to enlighten them, but even more importantly, explain the relevance of that. So long as leaders are matching with their, and taking that approach to their mindset, uh, the wants and needs of their teams, they will not, uh, you know, leave the road. They will not talk about something that the team will find irrelevant. It will it will very clearly be connected to what they care about.
0: Mm. Oh, I like that, and and I think you probably have noticed this, but uh, over the last couple of years with COVID and and everybody you know being virtual at least for a, a period of time for for most workers, uh, that that connection to be able to. Uh, know the difference between wants and needs and be able to communicate it has been a little harder for most leaders to to kind of foster so you know as some businesses are, are starting to really kind of reintegrate and think about coming back and some are deciding to stay mostly virtual how can leaders you know communicate effectively over this kind of barrier to to really keep their thumb on that pulse to know what a want or a need is
1: Right. Well, I recommend leaders do everything I can to be in touch with their people. So sometimes you work with your, we used to call it HR, but now more and more it's called the people team and the people team should have the pulse through surveys or meetings or whatever they do to understand what people are talking about. Uh, I work with a lot of CEOs who sometimes do a monthly breakfast. With all new people it's sort of a random pulling of people across the organization and that to be clear earl is a listening tour not a speaking tour a lot of leaders would be like great i'm gonna they talk the whole time and meanwhile everyone else is eating bagels no that's not <laughs> what that's about uh, that's about the leader listening so to connect to what we're saying they know what to say uh, another really important mindset i want, want to make sure i get out because sometimes people are surprised by this earl is the idea that Information does not inspire. So leaders who think, I'm going to define this for you. I'm going to give you information. I'm going to educate you. Those things are not inspirational because they're not making points. Only when you're making a point, an argument, a suggestion, a recommendation, that's inspiring because you're inviting the other person to be part of this process of receiving your point considering it and then working together to elevate it. You see it a lot in speeches in general. Imagine someone gives a speech and they say, all right, well, here's the history of the thing. Now, here's how many things there are. Here's how many people are on the thing. And here's how much money we're going to invest in the thing. Thank you very much. And you never hear, why is that thing important to me? How will I do my job better with my understanding of that thing? And it gets to what Simon Sinek always talks about, start with why. It's not the what that's important. It's the why that's important. And I'll go as far as to say that the what does not really inspire, even if it educates, the why inspires. And that's why the, you know, the title of my book, The Language of Leadership is all about uh, inspiring people, not just throwing words at them, because what we want at the end of the day, are teams and employees who are inspired. Or self-motivated to do their best work.
0: Yeah, no, and and I love that you make that 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 distinction there with with communication and inspiring and and getting people involved basically is is making them part of it because you know I've sat through I've been to conferences and and whenever I go I like to if at all possible uh, I like to try to attend not just you know show up and speak. Uh, and so I like to see what other speakers do. And you can always tell the folks who talk at the audience versus right. have a, a, a dialogue with the audience. And right. it, it, it's, you're right, it, you can visibly see the difference in those audiences. You know, the, the body language is completely different. You know, it's, it's oh my gosh, is this person ever going to stop talking versus right. tell me more,
1: right? Right. And, you know, we talked about mindset, but the language of leadership is, is also about words. Uh, leaders who use the word we instead of I convey that idea of community. We're in this together. But when a leader uses the word I a lot, they are removing themselves from the team, from the employees, and being, in fact, like I said, above the team instead of among the team. So you want to say, we are going to overcome this challenge. But if you say, I'm confident we'll overcome this challenge, then what are you saying? Well, What matters to me is that how it reflects on me and whether I'm making the right uh, 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 association or prediction. I'm confident this will happen. Well, who cares if you're confident? (laughs) We're all in this boat together. See how those kind of I words separate you and make it seem like you have another set of values you're trying to meet instead of the shared values with your team. Right.
0: No, and I love that piece of your book because it took me straight back to Marine Corps boot camp. And that's mm. the first thing that they do is is they ban the, the I, me, and my, and it's all mm. we and us language yeah. throughout the whole thing because it's building that team, uh, that the teamwork, that camaraderie. Uh, because like you said, when you're saying those words, you know, people feel that, that connection. And, uh, you know, I really I really enjoyed that that section there and also liked uh, because this is something that, that 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 drives a lot of people around me, uh, Batty, because they hear me on here and talking and having all these conversations. Well, that's what we do on the podcast. But you talk a lot about the beauty of brevity. So let's let's mm-hmm. talk about that for a second. Why is brevity such a great thing?
1: Right. Well, we generally know less is more. Certainly writers know that. What we should also know is that more is less, Uh, that not only are we making a better connection with fewer words and being brief, but when we add things to it, we're actually sabotaging the impact that we're going to have. Now, for some people, that's a little counterintuitive. A lot of people think or leaders think if they're giving a presentation, it's like a Christmas tree. Well, the more ornaments I put on it, the more details I put on it, um, obviously, the, the better it will glow. Obviously, 20 benefits are better than five benefits, right? But here's what happens to an audience when they hear multiple things. All of those adjectives or positives or attributes, they compete with each other for your attention. And for an audience, when different ideas compete for your attention, they dilute the impact of each other. So I like to say, if you share a lot of things, your audience will get none of them. If you share some things, they'll get some. If you share one thing, they will get all. So focus on one thing or at least one thing at a time because you know they can only receive so much. In fact, a lot of my training is about pauses because I I even say your audience or your team, your employees, they need two to three times more time to digest and understand what you're saying than you need to say it. A lot of leaders are very comfortable with what they're saying. They've worked with their team on it. Their executive communications people. They've gone through versions of it. All they have to do is say it. But consider your team that's hearing it. They're hearing it for the first time. I need to hear this, digest this, apply it. Is it important to me? How does it uh, connect to my job? Should I write this down? Should I tweet this? Should I remember this? Uh, So many things are going on. Meanwhile, the leader is seven to eight lines further. uh, And some of those lines could be critical. So it's really important, and this is about mindset, that leaders understand that the teams and your audience, whoever they are, whether it's at a conference or a Monday morning meeting, they need time and they need simplicity and they need brevity in order to merely receive what you're saying.
0: Mm. And, and again, I really love that because I'm a big fan of of simplification, and mm-hmm. um, uh, you, and maybe your experience is a little bit different. It sounds like not, but you know, there is this natural tendency for leaders to uh, to to overcomplicate versus oversimplify, and and right. I, I've found that it's a lot of you know, the 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 more I add to it, the more uh, professional I sound, the more educated I sound. Uh, and the more important this is going to sound because I'm taking so much time
1: talking about it. Versus right. Or using huge words or yes, making, yes. Uh, visualizing really beautiful things. Uh, let's not confuse simple with simplistic. And I think that's a lot, of, a lot of times that's why people don't like to think of things as simple as better because they, they think that simple is the same thing as simplistic. Simple can actually be a big thought. Uh, but you need to express it simply so that your audience can receive it. And that's the ball game. You know a lot of people think it's about me speaking. It's about the leader putting out ideas. Well, a leader can do that by themselves. Uh, what really matters is are the people receiving that message. Uh, if you're a pitcher in baseball, it's not just about throwing the ball. it's where the catcher catches it. It's where it goes around the bat, so that the hitter doesn't hit it. In these kind of communication avenues, your goal is not to speak; your goal is to do everything you can so that your audience receives. Yeah, well, and
0: it's it's quite liberating as well when you kind of just lay that foundation of, of what needs to be done. I, I go back to the old uh, Patton quote where you know he says, mm-hmm. "Don't tell people uh, what to do; tell them what mm-hmm. needs to." be done and get out of the right. way and let them dazzle you with their brilliance. Uh, but I also go back to, there's a story I like to share. I've shared it on this podcast way, way, way back, but uh, about Admiral Nelson and the battle of Trafalgar, uh, where he just gives his entire order for that battle is no captain can do wrong that pulls their ship upside, uh, alongside that of the enemy. Very simple. You you kind of take some of that off and you let them get creative with with how they can get done what you just said needs to get done. So it's kind of liberating brevity, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And as a leader communicates that they're connecting themselves to the goals uh, so it's an exercise that not only benefits the people listening, but the leader themselves. You're forcing yourself to make a point. And, you know, the first book I wrote was called Get to the Point because what I found is that a lot of people, whether they're leaders or emerging leaders, they don't know what a point is. They confuse a point with a theme, a notion, a topic, an idea, a category, a catchphrase. You know, for example, podcasting is not a point. If I asked you, what are you gonna talk about at this conference? Well, I'm gonna talk about podcasting. You've told me very little. You've given me a theme, but you've not told me your argument. All right, I'm gonna talk about the importance of podcasting. Yeah, but listen, I had a very important tuna fish sandwich for lunch, so surely that word important can't mean both what I had for lunch and your uh, the point you're trying to make. I call that a bad adjective when a word is just not telling enough we don't actually go get into point making until we say something like podcasting is the most effective way to reach a millennial audience and you could tell by the nature of that that that's an argument that i'm going to support with data with storytelling with reasonability uh with ideas even and it's something you get into as an audience because audiences want to receive points so usually when i do training whether it's with a lot of people or one-on-one, the very first thing I do is educate them on what a point is. Then we learn how to sharpen it and how to champion it. But if you start talking without a point, that's what causes rambling. People don't ramble because they're bad public speakers. They ramble because they don't have a point. So really Earl, it all starts there. Do you have a point? What is it? What are you arguing? Now let's talk about sharpening it.
0: Mm. No, I like that. That is a great distinction. To make and you know uh, I'm guilty of it uh, myself a lot of times I'll get to talking to be and and it so uh, for me this is the way my brain works Uh, I'll start going down one avenue to make one point and then I'll get Mm -hmm. sidetracked by something I just said that says oh hey this is another great point to make and Mm -hmm. then I've got all these kind of ideas and points competing for each other Uh, so it's it's easy to to kind of get off track once you start going down a path isn't it
1: yeah and i had this is funny i had a client i was talking to last night and he uh, was in the military and he was asked to speak about his military experience and what that means for a group of salespeople who frankly never served in, in in the military and he came to me with like 13 different tips he wanted to share And I said, what happened the last time you gave the speech? And he said, well, I was supposed to go the whole thing for 20 minutes, but I spent 45 minutes just telling my story of what it was like to be in wartime on the battlefield. And I never really got to that other stuff. Uh, so we made two big corrections. The first one is if you tell 24 tips, they're going to remember half of one. Think of one big idea. Is it resilience? Is it adaptability? Is it focus? Uh, that got you through that time and might get these people, your audience through that time. So instead of 24 ideas, bring it down to one. The other problem was, and this is why people sometimes ramble, they focus on the story. And so he heard that people wanted to hear his story, but I said, that's only one fourth of what you need to do. And so I gave him these buckets. And actually, it's very simple. One, tell your story. Two, what did you learn from your story? Three. How did that change your life? That learning. How does it change your life today? And finally, four. How can your audience learn from what you learned? That's it. That's the ball game. Your homework. Fill in those buckets, and you're good to go. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Again, simplicity, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's that simple. Right. Um, and and uh, no, I love those. I love those four buckets there. Um, and, and, and moving on a little bit here, because I think this kind of ties in with that, is you, you talk about communicating authenticity, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think that is one of the most critical pieces when you're putting any, any piece of communication together, is it has to be authentic, right?
1: Right. You have to be real, because why? Let's just not leave it at authentic leaders are great. What does authentic authenticity lead to? It leads to trust. So the goal is not just to be authentic. The goal is, because we can all agree on this, we want our teams to trust us as leaders. How do you build that? Authenticity. So what are the tactics of authenticity? Uh, And that sounds a little counterintuitive. Why should I be tactical if I'm just being myself? But the truth is there are ways you can elevate your authenticity. One of them, for example, is to skip the script. Uh, I work with a CEO and 99.9% of the time, he never has a word-for-word script because he knows, and I've told him, that when you read to an audience, it is automatically gonna be somewhat inauthentic because you are not communicating with them. You're writing something up and then you are reading to them. Uh, I like this metaphor. Let's say you're with a friend of yours and that friend just saw a movie and you want to know what he thought of the movie because you're thinking of seeing it yourself. And your friend says, hold on a second, he runs home, he writes up a perfect movie review. He comes back, he reads it to you. <laughs> uh, that's not what we want. We want to trust that the leader through his or her experience can come up with on the spot with a little bit of, um, of preparation, but really explain the value and the relevance of what they're talking about and not have to read it word for word. Because at the end of the day, and I'm a speechwriter, and speechwriters hate when I say this, uh, it's not about the words. People will not remember what you said. They will remember what you meant. So you can just bring notes. And I talk a lot about what makes effective notes and ineffective notes, but it starts with knowing you're going down the wrong direction if you're thinking about this as 600 words and reading word one to word 600. Yes,
0: No. and I love that. I love that a lot, and that's my approach. Uh, You know, when I'm speaking, I remember showing up to an event, there was about uh, 500 mid to upper level managers, I had two hours, and they wanted to see my slide deck beforehand. And I had, uh, I think it was 14 slides. And they were freaking out. They're like, you got two hours. (laughs) Like, I got this. This is good, right? And and that was it. Those were my notes, if you will. Right, exactly. and and we went through it. and but it's the thing like we know this right when we see people like i guess the, the the classic example that almost all of us are familiar with is whenever we see the president whoever the president is giving mm-hmm. an address and we, we can see that they're reading a teleprompter right. we can tell when they get off track we can see all these things and and it just doesn't even the best orators that we've had It still comes across as kind of clunky and mechanic and it just it doesn't feel like they're talking it's it's when we have those examples of of the the leader going live and and you know looking a little disheveled there's a big natural disaster or something those are the things that we remember the most uh from history right
1: yeah and often you you and i talked about this a little earlier earl Perfectionism is the opposite of authenticity in a way because we are all imperfect. Uh, we know this. And so we know that human beings are imperfect. We know nobody's perfect. So to be authentic means to be imperfect. Now you shouldn't aim to make mistakes, but you should allow yourself that, um, that, ah you should allow yourself that cough. You should allow yourself that, wait, not that word, this word. Um, because that communicates to your team that you are alive and you're being yourself. So you want to sound like yourself, you want to sound like you, you want to say what you believe. And one final thing is that one of the ways you can elevate authenticity is to tell a personal story. Now, sometimes I say this to leaders and they say, well, I don't have a traumatic transformative story in my past that I could bring out as if they're about to give a TED talk. And I say, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for something interesting you heard on the radio this morning, something funny your six-year-old said, something read in a newspaper or a colleague told you, or maybe something that happened to you when you were young that happened to a lot of people. In that way, we can actually relate to it. But just tell, give us a little peek at yourself so that the audience, your team, your employees, they have access to the true you. And sometimes the only way to do that is to tell a personal story, an anecdote, even if it's only two sentences to start a speech or a presentation.
0: Yeah. No, that is great advice. Great advice. And just kind of circling back a little bit on it there it's, is, uh, you know, I tell folks, uh, you know, if, if the, the three most important words in a personal relationship are, I love you, the three mm-hmm. most important words in a working relationship, a leadership follower relationship, are I don't know, because it sends those same messages being able to say, you know, Hey, I don't know. You, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be perfect. You have to be right. authentic, you know, because if you say, I don't know, but we're going to find out, we're going to make this happen, right. people trust that.
1: Right, and that addition is important for leaders. You know, I don't know is fine for people who are not leaders or who don't necessarily need to be seen as leaders, but the only thing I would add to leadership is when you say, I don't know, point to the direction of knowing. I don't know, but exactly what you said, Earl. I'm going to form a committee, I'm going to talk to people, we're going to have a survey, Uh, To figure this out, you know, and it connects to something else I write about, which is how to deliver bad news or what if there's a crisis and the metaphor I like to use is imagine you're the captain of a boat that's taking on water. Uh, Do the other people in the boat want you to talk about how much water is coming in uh, or how uh, little time you have before the boat goes down or how few life jackets there are? Uh, Nobody really wants to hear that even though those are details and interesting details and even relevant details. No, they want to hear, how are we going to get out of this mess and get to dry land? That's what people look for leaders to do. So one of the things I counsel leaders is not to focus too hard on the challenge, but to recognize that your job is to create the avenue to the solution, if not provide the solution itself
0: yes no and i'm glad you got there because that's one of the things i did want to hit on but let's let's go ahead because mm-hmm. you know what i loved about that is is reading that and having some friends uh you know from the marines who who were pilots and and now are civilian pilots you know they always talk about we, we always talk about that pilot's voice right if you've mm-hmm. ever been on a mm-hmm. plane and yeah there's anything, they come across and it's it's striking this balance of you know being real being authentic there is there is something going on, but keeping this level of confidence in your voice so the passengers know that you've got this, right? This yeah. is happening, but we've got the skill set to figure it out. And that is yeah.
1: that's hard to, that's hard to master, isn't it? It is hard, but let me throw some uh, words at you. Two. Rest assured. Right. Rest assured. Only two words, but the, they're very valuable in situations of crisis or bad news, because you can't start to say, rest assured, and not have that language of compassion, or that vision, or that direction to solution. And the mere words, rest assured, you know, you or I might even have a connection to that right away, a visceral connection, understanding that someone's got the job of figuring this out, and it's the leader. And he's saying, rest assured, we're going to find our way out of that. So, you know, I like to be very tactical, Earl, because sometimes people come away from workshops or presentations and they think they come away with a lot of theory and theoretical ideas. I like my books are all about nuts and bolts. Uh, Here's a word that may do that. Here's a word that may not. Stop doing this and maybe start doing that. And rest assured is sometimes one of those magic words that can make a big difference.
0: Well, right. No, it absolutely is. And and I like what you talk about. It sets a good tone and it's uh, you know, because you can't just, you know, you can't just do this and be like, oh, hey, if you look out your window, the the engine's on fire and the wing's That's about okay. to fall off. But we're okay. you you, you got to be able to be real and, and sometimes delivering that bad news. And we've we experienced that over, you know, the last two, two and a half years at this point. Leaders have had to do a
1: whole lot of that type of communication, yeah. haven't they? And let's talk about some of the pitfalls they get into. Uh, they overpromise, right. which can really ruin credibility when it comes time to fulfill that promise. Uh, they're ambiguous, and sometimes they do this with the best of intentions. I'm going to be ambiguous because it's bad news. Well, listen, what do we know about people? Tell it to me straight, right? Uh, so you need to be as clear as you can. And then here's a, a very uh, common mistake. So sometimes leaders will try to spin bad news to seem positive or force a silver lining uh, because they think it'll be better received by the audience. But ultimately they're doing it not because of their audience, they're doing it for themselves uh, to remove themselves from the responsibility uh, of that negative consequence. And they're soothing themselves in the role of sharing bad news. How am I going to make this easier for myself versus actually having it easier for the audience to listen to. Yeah.
0: No, I like that piece. I like that piece. And and the important piece here is that, that you have to be willing to to communicate that bad news yeah. because That's you your know job, I was man. it is no absolutely and and i i like to point out and and i'm again i'm curious your experiences with this but you know i go back to 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 elementary school science Mm -hmm. nature abhors a vacuum Mm -hmm. and if you aren't communicating these things the people know and and they're going to find out and if if you don't tell them somebody is and that's where rumors and gossip and all of these things kick in because you're not communicating what's going on and there's a couple of things we know about rumors and gossip is they're never good and they're almost always not true. Right. Uh, and, and so you've got, to fit, you've got to not leave vacuums in your communication, right?
1: Right. And sometimes the, the honest thing feels like the wrong thing, but it turns into a very powerful, positive reflection on the leader. What I'm talking about is a line like, this is not working. I know that this approach, I know that this first quarter campaign, this is not working. So what I wanna do is take a survey, gather a group, uh, call a meeting to find out what will work. Now that line, this is not working, some people will think, oh, you're admitting defeat, you're sabotaging your leadership. Uh, I say no. Uh, You are being honest with your audience, you're engaging them, and you're actually inspiring them because they're relating to you. They already knew it wasn't working, but when they hear it from you, they know they're on your team and you're on their team. Yeah,
0: and that is extremely powerful stuff right there. Um, I kinda wanna back up in the book just a little bit here because there was one piece there that that you focus on that I really, really enjoyed because I think I think this word gets used a lot especially in email mm-hmm. a lot of people will throw it like just in their digital signature and it, it's almost become a throwaway word but you talk about making
1: your thanks matter right yeah so you know and that's something i love to write about because how many times have you received an email or even a a word at a meeting that said thanks earl thanks joel uh thanks sally how long does that positive <laughs> uh you know impact last maybe a minute if that uh so why doesn't it last it was a thank you well it's because that word can be applied to anything anywhere listen i thank my cats for uh just uh, being quiet when i'm trying to sleep so when you make it specific that's when it gets uh, valuable especially when it comes from a leader so it comes back to this idea of why why are you giving thanks? I'm thanking this person uh, because they contributed an idea that's going to make our protocol more efficient. Now say that, email that, uh, take a video of that. I want to thank the, uh, Jenny's contribution uh, because I believe that it will make our processes more efficient and allow us to sell more Coca-Cola, save more lives, whatever uh, business you're in. And I'll tell you the truth, Uh, Jenny, or whoever that person is, will go away with a more lasting impact of appreciation when someone says exactly what they did, especially if it happens in public. So a leader should say that at a meeting or in an email where there are a lot of people CC'd, I really appreciate what you did because, and here's the impact. So it's a two-step process, really, because the because just gives the reason when you talk about how what they did impacts the goal that we're all trying to reach, that is a really powerful thing for that person and motivates them. And it makes you as a leader seem very appreciative because you have to pay attention to notice why someone uh, did something well. And it just shows that you're listening, shows that you're appreciating and it shows that you care. I don't want to make it seem like it's all about the leader, but I do want to make the point that if leaders want to convey that they care, one way to do it is to make their thanks matter. Yes,
0: no, I agree with that a hundred percent, and that's where you know it drives me batty uh, hmm. seeing people put that in their their digital signature and emails because you know, I worked with a guy who he was notorious. Uh, for really only communicating when he had something negative to say, Mm -hmm. but it always said his signature was, thanks, his name. And so in that organization, thanks kind of became a punchline versus... Uh, you know, versus something positive, and and that's that's pretty easy to do, and you, you don't want it to be a punchline, right?
1: Yeah, you don't want thanks to mean the same thing as with regards, <laughs> <laughs> right? On uh, the subject line, and by the way, I um I work with someone who put everything into the subject line with an EOM. Have you seen that before? End of message. So they never actually write in the body of the email. They write the whole thing into the subject line because for some reason they don't care to write you an email and you're so little to them. And you mean so little that you're just going to put out this directive and you don't really care how it's received. I do a lot of email training because we make our points and leaders communicate through email sometimes more than any other way. Uh, so they do something well in a speech and then they do something terrible in an email. So a lot of the things we talk about, also work in email having an authentic connection focusing on the solution not just the problem and number one of all making sure that you're making a point not just raising ideas yeah no i love that i love
0: that uh so we've talked about this a little bit already but I'm really kind of curious with all of this, you know, we're kind of in the, the Zoom era now. You know, Zoom is is to online meetings, what, what Google is to search engines. Right. You know, it doesn't matter if you're in a, uh, a Google chat or if you're in a GoTo or WebEx or whatever it is, you're, you're in a Zoom call. And you know, we know. Uh, I think the numbers put like seventy to eighty percent of communication is is your physical uh, communication, your body language, things like that. Right. Um, how can how can leaders effectively convey all of these things through these Zoom calls, knowing that you've got some of those limitations with how your body is positioned, how much you can move around, and express? What are some ways to to really make this communication, this leadership communication come through in a digital platform.
1: Right. Let me give you some um, some hard tips on this, because I like to share this. When we first moved from rooms to Zooms back in the early days of the pandemic, a lot of people treated Zoom in one of two ways. One, uh, it's at the same thing. I could do everything I did in a room that I would do in a Zoom, and that's not true. But the other thing is, since I'm in my pajamas, there are no rules. I could have Shea Stadium behind me. I could you know, have kids running wild. I could dress anyway. Uh, what I tell people is to consider the environment, first of all, of that Zoom. What is dominating it? Your head and your shoulders, the top of your shoulders should dominate it. So there are as few visual distractions as possible. In your background, you don't want that to be distracting as well. What I like to say is, if your environment in that zoom screen is not supporting you, it is subtracting from you. So we know now not to use the virtual backgrounds. If you're in a professional mode of you're out in space or you're at some TV show, but I've seen Earl, I've seen a lot of people use these blur backgrounds and I discourage that uh, for two reasons. One is because it's distracting and it sometimes causes this halo effect around you. But two, the zoom meeting is live. And it's supposed to be a live human discussion discourse. Why would you inject something artificial into that live human discourse? So I encourage everyone to have a real background. Just make sure that it supports what you're saying, or at least is neutral. Some books, a wall. Um, the other two things I say is make sure you're not distracted. You know, a lot of leaders will speak and then they'll assume they're not on camera. We know you are on camera. So you see them checking their email, they're eating a sandwich, they're not paying attention, and you don't want a leader to seem like they don't care about the other speakers in the room. The other thing to know, and the final thing really is, in real conversations, in real meetings, we know eye contact is looking someone in the eye. On Zoom calls or uh, any sort of video conferencing, Microsoft Teams, whatever it is, Looking someone in the eye means looking into that cold black dot at the top of your laptop or in a camera at the top of your laptop. That's eye contact. That's you looking people in the eye. When you look at the Brady Bunch screen, we know that that's not really looking people in the eye. Now, it's hard to look into that black dot for the entire time, uh, but I recommend when you come to that big part of your presentation, usually it's your point. Uh, to give that eye contact by looking directly into the camera and at least keeping all of your stuff, your notes, your PowerPoint, bring it as close to the camera as possible so that you only have to shift your eyes from the camera to your resources versus turn your head and neck like you're watching a tennis match.
0: Yeah, no, that is good stuff. I know um, I've had trouble with that. Like I had to put a little, um, I took a little piece of a yellow post-it note and put right above the eyeball uh, on the lens to to give me something to look at but uh, i do that
1: all the time i put my notes and stickies right there on the screen
0: yeah no i love it i don't know if you've seen this technology and and i wish the price point would come down a little bit because the ones that are out there now are are a little on the spendy side uh but they have the there's this one company that comes to mind i keep getting a lot of ads for called i think it's called center cam
1: oh where it's in the middle of your screen right
0: right yes uh that and and again knowing the technology like a lot of times you talk about the brady Bunch screen i hate that i i change the view uh so the 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 speaker is right you go into speaker view right right it's yeah and and then i move my stuff around i I, so i like those tips because uh it it makes it so much so much easier to keep that eye contact
1: right um and there are benefits to zoom you know that chat column, sometimes leaders think or meeting leaders think, well, that's just like an open mic. Hey, how does everyone feel today? Tell us in the chat. Do You like this idea? Do you not? What are your ideas? Throw them in the chat. It's a waste. But if you ask specific questions in the chat, uh, which title do you like better? Or tell me what city you're coming in from?
0: Yeah,
1: or how would you what? What word would you use here for the title of this campaign? If you ask very straightforward questions in chat, you could do something that you really can't do uh, in a live meeting, which is get a group of people to respond simultaneously in a very specific way. Yes.
0: No, absolutely. And I I love that you mentioned the virtual backgrounds, especially Mm -hmm. blur, because again, for me, you're right, that is so distracting because I'm trying to figure out what is the blur.
1: Right, what's behind there? Yeah, <laughs> you know, what, is, what is
0: so blurred? I'm curious out. now. Um, and then, you know, this is kind of a little tangent here, but I don't know if you've seen. There's this guy. Uh, he's he's gotten kind of famous on social media through this, but he's he's set up this rig hmm. uh, that that is a green screen green screen rig with kind of a table in front of him. So it's essentially like this vest thing that he wears. And like he's filmed himself going and and sitting in on on meetings at like Mm -hmm. baseball games or whatever, Mm -hmm. and using the virtual background. So, you know, nobody knows, right? But (laughs) so he's not really there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Joel, this has been fantastic. And again, listeners, we've talked uh, uh, very little bit about the contents in the book, there's a lot of great content. Uh, that we didn't touch on in the language of leadership how to engage and inspire your team and i highly recommend that you go out and grab a copy and and just take time read this book digest the material figure out what it means for you and how you can implement it in your responsible leadership journey Uh, but joel like i said we talked about a lot of stuff here I'm just kind of curious is there anything that we didn't get a chance to touch on that you want to leave listeners with before we uh, close out
1: i think we covered the most important things without going into details like you said the book uh, gives you a lot of more words a lot more tactics but really it boils down to these ideas what is your point do you have a point and how can you champion that point so that you engage and inspire your team fantastic fantastic
0: uh, so folks want to find out more about you. Uh, maybe they want to hire you to, to write a speech, coach them through uh, communications, uh, get a copy of the book, check out past books. What is a good place for them to find out more about Joel Schwartzberg?
1: I recommend two platforms. Uh, one is my website, www.joelschwartzberg.net. Uh, And there's where you can find everything I've ever done in the vein of putting out ideas. You could see podcasts, you could see all the articles are linked that I wrote for Harvard Business Review or CNBC. You can get information on the books Uh, because the people in IT like when I say this, I consider my work open code. Uh, I want everyone to have it. I want every, you know, we're not competing against each other to be the best presenter, like we're getting trophies or medals. Everybody could be a great, Uh, an inspiring and engaging leader and we'll still not have enough even if we do that so i like to give this stuff away so it's there on the website and i love for people to follow me on twitter it's probably my favorite platform for a number of reasons but i'm constantly spitting out uh, ideas about leadership and presentation and there i'm the joel truth t-h-e-j-o-e-l-t-r-u-t-h
0: love it Joel, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've enjoyed every bit of it. I really enjoyed the book. I really appreciate you doing what you're doing and having the impact that you're having helping responsible leaders uh, communicate better and and get their messages out there and get to the point. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much for everything that you're doing. Thank you for being a guest on a Responsible Leadership Podcast. And I really appreciate you doing everything you're doing and being with me and my listeners here for this past 45 minutes plus.
1: Thank you, Earl. It was fun
0: Alright all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at Earl at leadership phalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, dot com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show. So these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode.
1: Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on ElectroCast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast.
0: Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Natureback podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric Acid.